So, like, take off to the great white north. Beauty. Beauty. Take off. It's a beauty way to go. Jeez. Take off, <laughs> you hosers. Welcome to Hosers. My name's Chris Killingsworth, and joining me as always is my co-host Carter Lupel. What's going on, man? How's it going, Chris? It's going good. Um, we're really excited to be joined by a special guest for this episode. Uh, we have Corey Snyder with us, and Corey is a writer for The Athletic Chicago, and some of you guys may know him from a couple of his former blogs, but he has something going on right now called The Energy Line. Corey, how you doing, man? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're really excited to have you. I know you and I had been emailing back and forth last week, and I followed you for quite a while and wanted to get some insight as to uh, some of the things that have been going on with Carolina, but also, you know, hockey as a whole. It's an interesting time of year. But before we get started, I got to ask you, um, what is up with all the Pokemon avatars? I wanted to get that out of the way early on. Yeah, uh... I, I don't I don't know when it started, but like I just changed my avatar to Flareon once, <laughs> and then uh, I went through all the I went through all like the EV evolutions. Then I just said, uh, you know what, I'm gonna change my avatar to a different Pokemon every month. And it's kind of just it's honestly 100 percent random. It's like whatever I'm feeling at the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, when I uh, you know kind of got involved in in hockey twitter a little bit and wanted to kind of see the work that was being done out there i remember i think i I hope i don't botch the pokemon name it's been a while since i was an avid fan but i think it was like hondur or hondoom does that sound right yeah i definitely used one of those at one point (laughs) there we go so that's when i started following along but uh yeah i wanted to get that out of the way off the top because i was thinking if i ever get a chance to talk to this guy i gotta ask (laughs) what the uh what the story is but um it's just something uh, sorry no go ahead yeah it's just something i do like to remind people to not take me too seriously (laughs) absolutely yeah i think we need that a bit more (laughs) (laughs) that goes a long way for sure uh when i was doing a little bit of research into some of the work that you do i came across that uh i guess when you were in university you did a radio station or were a uh like a dj on a radio station is that something that you did yeah, I did that for one semester. Actually, no, a full year, my uh, sophomore year. Uh, like, if I wanted to do, like, more stuff on campus, and uh, the radio station there was pretty lenient, like, with who they let on. So I basically got an hour show to myself there. That's- it, was pretty, it was pretty fun, but I had, to, I had to stop doing it after a year or so just because I was, like, involved with a bunch of other stuff. That's awesome. What, uh, what kind of music do you listen to? Uh, basically, like, like I, I, it's a lot of punk and a lot of metal for the most part. Yeah, and I want to, I want to say like almost any type of rock music, but that's not true. So, no, that's cool, man. Um, yeah. Carter and I both played in like punk and metal bands growing up. So I know when I started following you on Twitter, I was like, oh, we listen to the same kind of music, which. I don't know, like we've talked about it on the podcast before, but sometimes being a hockey fan and being a fan of like punk and metal have like a very weird crossroads because I know, you know, when you're in high school and things like that, 
you know, the, the hockey guys or, you know, the jocks, they, they tend to not really gravitate to that kind of music. But yeah. do you feel that there's kind of like a, an interesting crossroads there between our love of hockey, but also, uh, you know, the kind of music that we listen to and how it might be a little different? Yeah, I noticed that a lot of guys in bands I listen to are hockey fans and have like kind of crossover with like merch and stuff. And I remember back the old the, the old NHL video games, like the soundtrack was mostly like there was a lot of punk and like post hardcore and stuff on on the on those games. So there was definitely there's definitely a lot of crossover there. Yeah, that's awesome. What have you been listening to lately? Uh, lately, I've uh, I've been listening to a lot of Frank Turner. Not really the new record. I'm still trying to get into that. But I've been listening to like like a, a lot of his older records. It's pretty good, just like relaxing music to kind of get yourself out of a funk or whatever. Yeah, definitely. I uh, listen to a little bit of his older stuff. I'm not as like in the loop with some of the stuff he's doing, but yeah, no, that's great, man. It's uh, it's it's refreshing that uh, you know. When I'm reading some of your stuff on Twitter, I get a little bit of your your music insight as well. So I'll take it when I can get it. <laughs> yeah, I haven't I haven't been as in the loop as much this year, just because it's like uh, I, I don't know. I, I've been kind of lazy with uh, a lot of new music. Like a lot of the new records I listen to now are from bands that I already know. Yeah. Like uh, between the Bird and Me's got a new record that I've been listening to a lot. Uh, I you like ne- the new. You'll never beat Alaska. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that that one's actually that, that one's actually my favorite. So it's funny you say that. <laughs> I like the I do like the new record a lot though. Yeah, that's great. Well, let's. Uh, I guess we'll move into some hockey stuff here, as is uh, tradition. Whenever we've had guests on the show, we always like to hear kind of what your entry point um, to hockey was. So maybe we could start from the beginning. How did you get involved or, or fall in love with hockey from from the beginning? I used to go to Capitals games uh, every now and then when I was really young, and uh, I started I started playing like a lot of NHL video games after that and watching like whatever game was on ESPN. And uh, I I was kind of I was more of a football fan when I was younger. I was like seven, eight, nine, and uh, I didn't get super into hockey until after the uh, until like two thousand eight or two thousand nine or so. Like, it was after the first lockout. And uh, I went, I, it was, I, I lived, I used to live in, like, I used to live in Maryland, so uh, people were really into the, people were getting really back into the Capitals then because they were good again, because Ovechkin was, they, Ovechkin was just tearing up the league at that point. So I started watching, like, hockey almost every night. Like, I was watching Capitals games and basically any game that was on TV. And uh, over that whole summer, I just kind of got obsessed with it. I was following literally everything, and uh, and it was just kind of it kind of took on its own life from there. Yeah, that's awesome. I guess I'm just trying to think of what was going on around that period of time. So you would have just kind of got back into it around the time that uh, Jeff Skinner won the Calder. Is that similar timeline or close to that? A little later, I think. Well, my first year, like the first year I really started following hockey was when the Penguins won the cup against the Red Wings. Oh, yeah. Oh, I remember. I uh, remember being in a bar right beside the high school that Carter and I went to, uh, and I was just legal uh, to go to that game or watch that game in a bar. So, yeah, no, I I remember that vividly for sure. And um, 
at what point in time did you start maybe changing gears a little bit from you following the Capitals and getting a little bit more into what Carolina was doing? It was actually that year. Like, I wasn't really a fan of any team that season. Like, when I was getting more into hockey, because I was watching basically everything, I just watched the Cavs more because I lived in Maryland, and that was really, they were on every night, basically. But, uh, I like I'm always I've always been a Carolina sports fan. Like I've I've been a Panthers fan since I was like nine. Oh wow. So yeah. So I uh, I was like you know it makes like at one point I was just like you know it makes sense if I followed a Carolina team. So I decided like to be a Hurricanes fan. They actually made the playoffs uh, that year and uh, they have not been back since. Yeah. So it was not a uh, not the best decision for my uh, sports happiness there. Yeah, I mean, obviously teams have, like, peaks and, and valleys, and, uh, you know, I know we're going to get into Carolina and, and some of the, you know, more difficult things that have been going on the last little while as a fan. Um, if you remember of, across your c- kind of fandom, or at least as long as you've been following Carolina, um, Eric Stahl is, is kind of the player that comes to mind and the impact that the Stahls have kind of had on Carolina as a whole. Do you remember what it was like uh, around the time that the stalls, like Eric in particular, um, you know, had a lot of prominence in Carolina and what kind of impact that had on people in that area? Yes. Yeah. Like as long as I've been a fan, that's always, it's always been stall. uh, It's always been Eric's team. Like he was the, uh, he was the captain starting in 2011. I think they, they took the C off Brenda Moore that year and gave it to Eric. It was kind of like the uh, changing of it was kind of like the changing of the guard in a way, because Stahl was the team's best player for Stahl was the team's best player for as long as I've been a fan, and he's been the face of that franchise. He's like on all the ads and everything, basically just him and him and Ward for the most part. But that was there. Like Eric was always a big deal with the team, and it was kind of tough on fans when he got traded, even though it was kind of time. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it was, I remember the whole Cam Ward, Eric Stahl, like, era of the Hurricanes, and, like, every mock-up you saw was basically Eric Stahl and Cam Ward standing back-to-back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. But um, the just on the Stahl brothers for a bit, I, so when I started thinking a bit more about Carolina, and I remember watch, watching the, the first game that Jared, Jordan, and Eric all played together, and they lined up. And they're 11, 12, and 13. Like, do you remember that time? Like, how crazy that was? That was that was probably one of the weirdest seasons I've ever experienced as a fan. <laughs> I know. I remember, like, I remember what I remember exactly why that happened. It was the lockout shortened year, right? Yeah. And uh, Carolina was absolutely destroyed by injuries that season. Yeah. And they were calling up base. They called up. I think everybody on the checkers got uh, got a game or two, but. Uh, towards the end of the year, they fell out of the playoffs, and uh, they did that just so kind of the Stahl family could have something to remember by. Like, yeah, they could have like a moment or something like that. And uh, he played a few. He, he actually played a few games down the stretch, but Jared was like he 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 was always kind of the uh, the black sheep. <laughs> yeah, he. Yeah, I think they. I, he wasn't even drafted by the Hurricanes. I think the Coyotes actually drafted him, and they traded for him at some point. Yeah, I don't, and uh, he was always a bit more. He was going to be seen as like a career AHLer if he was yeah. lucky. And he, it was cool for him. That they gave him that chance to play a few games in the NHL. I know that was interesting because Jared Stahl, like even when you watched him in Sudbury, like he never put up numbers or had that 
like presence like the other Stahl brothers did um, in the OHL. So I was really surprised when Jared Stahl laced up in the NHL to only play a few games then to head back down to the AHL. Yeah, that was uh, that, that was a weird year. Like that was a gamble for sure. <laughs> you, you look at well, you look at who the you look at some of the players that Carolina called up that year. It might be guys you remember from junior hockey, but they a lot of them were a lot of them were just kind of AHL lifers that they called up then. Yeah, oh, they're just apple picking. Everyone was rotten, so they need to reach out to the different ones. <laughs> yeah, right? Corey, did you but, ever did you ever feel that like a move like bringing Jared along for the ride was almost to kind of give a little bit of I don't know if fanfare is the right word, but do you think like those types of things almost like appeased Eric um, and obviously uh, you know do you think it was a, a scenario where? things weren't great obviously and maybe they were just trying to keep him happy to a, good, a degree or where do you sit on that yeah I don't know the uh, like uh, are you talking like the trading for Jordan too well yeah I, I mean we were gonna kind of layer into to that as well because I was you know when you and I started talking I was trying to think of you know kind of moments that Carolina had over time and you know the impact that it had on the market but also for the fans and for the team as a whole and you know when I think about that trade and think about where some of those people are now I had it written down in my notes here to ask you who do you think won the trade Um, but when you look at it on paper and see where everybody's gone obviously hindsight's 2020 do you think a lot of you know bringing Eric's brothers in as almost like not supporting players, but a supporting cast. Do you think that that kind of appeased him a little bit? Yeah, I think that they did. They did partially do that trade because uh, Jordan had only one year left on his contract in Pittsburgh, and uh, as far as everybody knows, he wanted to come to Carolina to play with Eric, and Eric wanted him to come here. So, or there, I should say, I don't live in Carolina, but um, they wanted. But as like he wanted to come to Carolina, and Eric wanted him to come there, so there was a match, and they and they made a trade work. I think they kind of paid sticker price for that trade, though. Yeah. Instead of like uh, because they could have just waited a year for Jordan to like hit free agency, they could have signed him then. But I don't know. That trade is very weird to look at in hindsight when you look at what what they gave up, what happened what they gave up like what each of the players kind of kind of became yeah. especially like the weirdest part to me was the was the draft part of that the draft pick they gave up in that trade because they when that happened i was like i was prepared i was kind of preparing for them to make the trade and get and like trade the pick because uh i thought some of the guys they targeted in the draft weren't going to be available at the time but Lo and behold, Philip Forsberg is right there, and they could have drafted him. Right. I was like, they they could have drafted him, and they made the trade. I'm like, uh, they just gave Philip Forsberg to Pittsburgh, and they took <laughs> and they took Derek Pouliot. Right, yeah, absolutely. So I'm like, yeah, what a bust. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, that I'm like, okay, this is not as bad as I thought it was going to be. But a lot of fans were pretty upset about losing Brandon Sutter. He was a pretty popular player with fans. He yeah. was a good. He was known as like a really good penalty killer. He was fast. He had a twenty goal season in his rookie year, so people thought he could have been something pretty special. But he's kind of just plateaued at where he's at, and he's not—he's kind of just plateaued at where he's at. hasn't really taken, yeah. hasn't really gotten much better since they traded him. And uh, Dumoulin was kind of the throw-in of that deal, and yeah. that was the—that was the 
that was the part of the trade that I didn't really like they gave up at the time because I was like, uh, like the, uh, I don't know, the, the Hurricanes did not have any defenseman prospects that I really liked then. And uh, Dumoulin was one of the few that I thought could have made the, the jump to the NHL after that year. And, uh, and uh, I was like, you're kind of trading away from a position that you're not very strong at. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but uh, he he was a pretty slow he was a pretty slow development for the Penguins too. Like he didn't really make the league until a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. I always forget like that. He, I mean, he's. I wouldn't say he's old, but he is older. Um, I always thought that he was you know, quite a bit younger. But you're right. Like he kind of broke in and uh, maybe a bit of a late bloomer. But Carter, you had a question. Oh, I was just gonna like just in regards to Jordan Stahl and like the point in his career when he got traded. Like I, I started researching the trade and things like that. And then when you start to look at it, he he left the Pittsburgh organization the time that like when Crosby came in and then you had Malkin come and then you had Kessel come and then all of these like big names come to the Pittsburgh organization like do you think that was kind of like a career spark move for Jordan like him like like in regards to his longevity in the NHL like do you think Carolina opened the doors for him to stay like is that for me I feel like if he stayed in Pittsburgh he would have got buried in the system and then maybe like either dealt for way under sticker or into a lower farm loop if they just didn't have the space for him. Yeah, I think he was going to leave Pittsburgh one way or another just because yeah. he wanted he's he was going to make he was going to make what his contract is now regardless of what yeah. happened because he was seen as a very he was seen as an excellent shutdown uh, excellent shutdown center and he, he always produced like forty or fifty points in a third line center role for the Penguins. Yeah. But they had a bunch of injuries then too, so he had to play higher in the lineup anyway. So there was always that thought that maybe he could be more, maybe he could be a 60, 70 point player. Yeah. And he was always he was always an incredible like play driver too in Pittsburgh. So that was like where his main value was. Yeah. And uh, with Carolina, the with Carolina it was like he was like he kind of changed the team. Like like people have always talked about how Carolina is this great play driving team. The main reason is because they got Stall. Yeah. And he's been kind of the engine that just drove them. That's been, oh, that's allowed him to do that the entire time because he's played with some pretty terrible line mates <laughs> in Carolina and he still drove play. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that's kind of changed like the whole outlook of the team. It's kind of changed how they use Eric because Eric was, well, like, uh, because they, Eric was kind of the do-it-all center for a long time, and they had Sutter as the shutdown center for a couple years, yeah. and then they swapped out Stahl for Sutter, and uh, well, they swapped out Swalp, they swapped out Stahl for Sutter. Now all of a sudden, you got a, you have a number two center that can drive play, and uh, and Eric can kind of take on the easier matchups and play the bigger minutes without having to like start as many shifts in the defensive zone and whatnot. Yeah. And he didn't, he didn't have to kill penalties that much either. But the only problem with the only problem was Jordan never produced at the level that they kind of hoped he would. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that, I, I don't know. A lot of that wasn't necessarily I, like, I feel like a lot of it wasn't necessarily on him because you play him with Nathan Gerby, Patrick Dwyer, Yoki Nordstrom, players like that. Like you're only going to get you're only going to get so many points out of Saul when his when his uh, line mates just can't put the puck in the net. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely. true. Good call. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because I completely forgot that uh, 
Nathan, is it Gerby or Ger- it, We're in Canada, so it becomes Gerbet, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's... Gerby's American, so... Yeah. There you go. Yeah, we'll, we'll take it. That works for me. Um, now, we've talked about it a little bit on the podcast, and, and I mentioned it to you before. We, we haven't really gotten into stats too, too much, and that's part of the reason we were so excited to have you on. Um, how would you best describe some of the work that you've done in the last five years as it relates to um, stats and microstats and, and analytics? How would you best describe your work, Corey? Well, for me, I was always frustrated with how little data is available like by the NHL. So I, so I, uh, me and a few other bloggers were kind of tracking our own stats and looking at how it relates to how it relates to driving play, how it relates to winning the shot differential and in the end scoring more goals than the opponent. Like and and we kind of just started doing that on our own time. So I I started tracking zone entries and zone exits to look at how winning the battle in the neutral zone helps uh, helps teams uh, outscore and outshoot their outshoot their opposition on a consistent basis. And zone exits looked at how Team, how teams broke the puck out, like which defensemen are good at which defensemen are good at lean breakouts, which ones aren't, uh, which teams might be running like a system that helps that. Basically, just try to look at everything that goes on to explain the why of possession stats, if that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. like we're at the point where we know Corsi and stuff is important, but like what what do players do that drive that is like how you can kind of get how it can be a little more useful and how it can be applied more practically. Yeah. No, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's, I think for me, uh, an interesting thing, um, as far as just better understanding of how the game's played. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Carter and I both, uh, we coach a hockey team, uh, and, and it's something that we're, we're wanting to learn about so we can apply it practically for our own team, <laughs> selfishly. Yes. Anything that can help us win. We had a really rough season this year, but uh, you know, we're, we're looking forward to getting started. When you did your All Three Zones project in 2013 and 2014, I had to do a double take, to be honest, because it said that you had uh, tracked about 1,200 games. Uh, how long did it take to do that? Yeah, I tracked every game in the league that year, wow. and uh, it took me the entire season plus an extra off season because I, uh, I I got hired to do some consulting work for an NHL team the year after that, and so I had to kind of I kind of had to like divvy up my time a little differently. Of course, and, yeah, yeah. So it took me so it took me like the entire summer after that year to finish it. That's and awesome. uh, everything is so everything is out there and available now, and people have done some pretty cool stuff with it. So, just for a fan, maybe for the people who are listening who have ever thought, I wonder if I can watch every NHL hockey game in a season. Is that even doable, like mentally? Like, how, how crazy were you going analyzing almost thirteen hundred hockey games? Uh, I, I wasn't going too crazy. I, I kind of just learned how to you know, like manage my time a little more efficiently, get, like get off the computer when I need to, yeah. take a break when I need to, most importantly, and just uh, know when, you know, know when like, enough is enough. A, when you have a break, when like you have a breaking point, you're like, yeah, I can't do this anymore. I need to like take a break for an hour or so. Yeah. yeah. Because it's like, at, at the end of the day, like it was kind of, it, it became my job because I was making enough money off it to the point where I could like live. And uh, I was like, I'm getting paid to do hockey right now, so I gotta. I want to make sure like it doesn't become you know a chore. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Did you find that like in the 
you know, tiny minutia of watching the games and, and getting a feel for everything. Was there uh, anything that made your job easier, like maybe uh, particular teams that made it easier, more enjoyable, or even like broadcasting teams? Because I listen to lots of games on the radio. I, I watch lots of hockey myself. And, and, you know, there's some broadcasting teams I find are just tedious to get through, especially where we're at just north of Toronto. Um, you know, what made it easier for you? Uh, well, there were some there were some teams that year. This was 2013, 14. So there were a few teams that year I kind of keyed on and did like a few games in a row of. Because like one thing I like to do is I like to watch teams like in groups where yeah. like I break up and do like if, say like if uh, I'm doing five games a day, I'll do like Dallas one day or Tampa Bay another day or something like that. Yeah. Just so I get a feel of what's going on, not like cram my brain by watching like. 30 different teams in a day or something so I like to zone in on like I like to zone in on like one team or two for a brief time to kind of uh, just get a feel of what they're trying to do like who's trending up who's who's playing well who's not uh, all that like uh, I really like I really liked watching Dallas that year that was the first year Wendy Ruff was the coach and that was when Nechushkin was a rookie. It was the first year Sagan was there. They were doing a lot of pretty new, new interesting stuff. And I thought they were going to be a team on, a, on the rise after that season because they, they made the playoffs barely, and they were on a pretty good run for a long time, but hasn't really turned into anything. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I guess watching all of those like teams group together, it, it would make your life easier, like learning how different players play and things to look out for. That starts to become second nature the more you watch them, right? Yeah. Um, so just moving on a bit, like uh, just in regards to some of the stuff that you've tracked this season in regards to stats, um, like do you mind describing those stats that you've kind of dug up this season and what's the most interesting of these findings? Yeah, uh, like I'm still tracking zone entries and zone exits. Basically entries are how a team enters the offensive zone, if they did it with control of the puck or not. And, like, I also track whether or not they made a successful passing play off an entry to show if they're kind of, like, making the most out of their uh, zone time. Yeah. Because, like, to me, I feel like being able to to carry the puck in is a good talent. Yeah. And it's a good – and it's something you shouldn't, like, squander if you get the chance to do so because teams – because teams really kind of clog up the neutral zone now, and yeah. it's not exactly an easy thing to do. Like, it's easy to say that you should carry the puck in, but if you're the, the other team's not just going to let you do that. Yeah. So, like to me, I'm looking at if they're doing it, if they're making the most of the time by creating plays off off of it. Yeah. And uh, zone exits, I'm looking at how to break the puck out, uh, which players are good at it, which ones aren't. Because that's something a lot of fans like. A lot of fans are really interested in that part of it because yeah. like it's something that broadcasts kind of key in on a lot now. It's true. And, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, recently I started tracking passing plays, which is uh, basically just basically just uh, taking cue from the work that Ryan Stimson's been doing. Yeah. On uh, hockey graphs and uh, the uh, Devils SB Nation blog, um, like uh, he started. Like, he started tracking passing plays, and what he found was that shots that come after a pass uh, lead to have a higher percentage of turning into goals than ones that don't. Yeah. And also, he started tracking passes, like, different types of passes, like uh, like passes across the middle of the slot, passes from behind the nets, passes to the points, one-timers, all this kind of stuff. Basically, wow. there's a lot of... 
there's a lot of things we can dive into <laughs> that can help teams be more efficient, like on offense. Yeah, definitely. So it's, that's that, yeah, that's like another just that's like what I started doing the past year or so, kind of just taking cue from his project. Yeah, and basically just collecting the data. Just uh, in regards to like the the successful entry, just for like those listening. Like, for me, I know I muddy it a bit because, for me, a successful entry is when you either carry it in and set it up, but it also could be when you dump it and successfully retrieve it and then set it up. Um, what do you count for, like, insofar as your stats go as a truly successful entry into the zone? For me, you have to carry the puck in, get it... Well, you have to carry it over the blue line. Yeah. Basically, that's what I consider a successful entry. Like, okay. so... But, like, I also add wrinkles to see if they set anything up or set up a play or set up a shot, anything like that. And dumping the puck in is also a successful entry, but it's just recorded as a dump-in. Okay. So there's nothing I, separate for, like, a dump-in or something. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, I do track... Well, I, mean, I just track carry-ins. I track it as a carry-in or a dump-in. Okay, And yeah. I also track whether or not they set up a pass and whether or not they, re- they recovered at the uh, dump-in. Amazing. So your most successful entry is carrying it yourself over the blue line. Basically carrying yourself and setting up a pass yeah. would be the best. But, the, but that's, like, the most optimal thing to do. Amazing. Uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say I... Uh, I know the last couple of weeks have been uh, a little crazy uh, in in hurricane world, but uh, Carter and I, well, I live in Barrie full time and Carter lives in Toronto, but um, I was hoping maybe we could talk a little bit about the draft lottery uh, and and how you were feeling uh, going into Saturday evening. So for everybody who may not be familiar with it, on April 29th, the Hurricanes found out that they'd be drafting second overall in the upcoming entry draft. And this is the highest pick that the Hurricanes have had since picking Eric Stahl second overall in 2003. Um, give us a kind of an idea of how you were feeling on Saturday with the kind of up and down nature of things and, and how you were feeling when you found out they were in the top three. Uh, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? You can absolutely swear, yes. Fucking go for it, bud. <laughs> yeah, well, because the first, the first thing I said when I saw that they uh, were going to be picking the top three was, don't fuck this up. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, we were, I was actually out for dinner when it happened, uh, and I was supposed to be going to a party, but it ended up not happening. Uh, maybe the person who was hosting it wasn't happy that their team didn't get into the top three. I'll leave that up uh, to them. <laughs> but what I will say is, uh, just as it was happening, I was getting into the movie theater to see Infinity War and was like quickly refreshing my Twitter to see what people were saying. But as far as uh, not fucking it up, could you elaborate a little bit as far as uh, what you mean? Well, basically with the Hurricanes, I know this team has won a cup like barely recently but like as far as my experience as a Hurricanes fandom is that everything some, one thing or another just seems to go disastrously wrong for them and basically every single year whether it's a guy getting hurt <laughs> them shooting them shooting at 5% for the entire season the goalie sucking basically everything kind of just goes wrong the Carolina Hurricanes are Murphy's Law yeah. basically yeah <laughs> basically, basically yeah like that's just kind of what we're we're kind of like as Hurricanes fans, we're all kind of just trained to expect the worst. Yeah. But like, at, 
This is probably the biggest break they could have ever gotten, especially right now, because the biggest problem with this team has always been, well, aside from the, aside from the goaltending, is that there has not been a top-end talent on this team right. since uh, since Stahl, really. That's the... Since Stahl, like, in his first few years, like, that was the last time they had a player that could make that much of an impact. But something because Sebastian Ajo looks like he's going to be a hell of a player. He already mm-hmm. is, but he could he, he could be like a someone they could potentially build around. Yeah, they they look like they got a good pick in Marty Nietzsche from uh, the uh, from the Czech League last year, and now they got this. So yeah, this is potentially a game changer for them. Yeah, yeah definitely. The nice thing about uh, living in Barrie is we've got to see uh, Andrei Svechnikov play quite a bit um i've seen him 10 times or so 12 times uh this past season for barry um he's got to be the number two pick right like where where do you sit on that well like if you've paid attention to any change twitter pretty much everybody is on board with draft with drafting sveshnikov yeah because we all assume darlene is definitely going number one to buffalo right and uh sveshnikov absolutely everybody wants sveshnikov we're like I think the the general consensus is that everybody wants Sveshnikov, but if they pick Zadina, we can live with it because uh, he because him and Nietzsche are teammates and all that. That's but, right. Yeah. Or well, I don't know if they're teammates, but I, I'm not sure about that exactly. Yeah, like, I think I, it's the the work, not the work, but rather the the uh, you know luck or the uh benefit that they've had of playing together on a national scale has been really positive uh so i think that that's maybe a little bit of where that comes from but yeah with with a guy like svechnikov um and what you know about him obviously he had a really great year with the barry colts um he led all ohl rookies with 72 points which is a cool 40 goals and was rookie of the year um as somebody who is a barry fan you know, he he was that kind of superstar talent that we've really, really uh, missed uh, since Aaron Eckblad got drafted by the Florida Panthers a few years ago. Um, but they, he, he was just phenomenal. And of course, our team here in Barrie, we've had, um, you know, we've been lucky with Russian players. Not that, you know, them being Russian has anything to do with it, but I, th- I think that they like coming to this part of Ontario, and, and I know uh, in a lot of interviews and things like that, Sveshnikov spoke so highly of, of this area. We also had Alexei Lipinov, who was a uh, Tampa Bay prospect, um, as well as Kirill Nizhnikov, who's expected to go probably in the top 60 this year as well. Um, as far as some of the things that I've read about you know Charlotte having a, a really good season, and I'm sure you follow them pretty closely. Do you think a guy like Valentin Zaykov, um, you know, would would make the transition easier for a guy like Svechnikov going to a market like Carolina? Yeah, I joke that uh, Zaykov should just give Svechnikov a tour of Raleigh after every season. <laughs> so he's the only uh, he's the only Russian they have in the uh, pipeline right now. I think. Uh, so I think it might help. I think it could help. Yeah. But uh, like, as far as like everything I've read is that Sveshnikov's the second best player in this, the second best player in this draft, and the best forward in this draft. So to me, it's kind of a no-brainer, like on how they should play this. Because like, uh, if he is, even if he's not like say, if he's not like say some 
like generational talent. But if he's like, say, the next Tarasenko or something like that, then that's exactly what they need right now. So that's like to me, that's pretty much like how they have to go, like regardless of just any kind of external factors. Yeah, definitely. Like some some local guy, some local radio guy, actually like. Somebody kind of asked him about the uh, draft, and he said he likes Brady Kachuk. So some fans have, some fans are kind of panicking over that. But I feel like people kind of just need to relax right now and kind of just wait till something actually happens with the with the draft before they kind of assume that they're going to screw this up. Well, hopefully they don't. Like with the number two pick, like you get like there's some like continuity with Carolina. There, like Jordan Stahl was the number two pick, obviously, and then you had like Malkin was a number two pick. Uh, Dowdy was a number two pick. Sagan was a number two pick, and you see all these guys that have went on to do like great things with the league. So you, yeah. you hopefully with a number two pick, like with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> but they uh, they can kind of hold on to something, right? Yeah, I think so. This is like I said. This is pretty much like this is probably like the transition. Like this is like the draft pick that can probably change like the entire outlook of the franchise. Yeah. Cause you only get, you only get a chance to take a player that good. Like how many, like how many times in like 10 years, unless you're the Oilers. Yeah, really. <laughs> eh? It was, uh, it was interesting how it all, you know, um, shaked out that night. Like we, you know, we were, we were pretty excited to see that, uh, you know, we, we knew we were having you on today, obviously, and that Svechnikov would be something that we could talk about. But if we shift gears a little bit here, um, obviously scoring more goals uh, is going to help and having a bit more offensive flair in your top six is going to, you know, be a, a strength for Carolina moving forward. If we look at um, some of the other positions, um, you know, it's no surprise that um, our, our friend... Uh, Ward and Darling had a, a bit of a tumultuous go the last little while here. Um, how would you describe their season um, as it relates to some of the poorer results that they put up? Uh, disastrous, horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little unfair to Cam Ward because Ward actually uh, Ward wasn't that Ward wasn't that bad like this year. Like I, I think it's kind of just standards for him because uh, he's had some pretty brutal seasons but yeah he started off he started off pretty good and he had a good month of december but this is the trap that kind of fall into him with with this is the trap they fall into him every single year because ward's not a guy you can play every night he, he's a he's really like at most he's a decent backup now and he was a decent backup for the first part of the season and then but darling was just playing terrible and uh they had to go. They had to lean on Ward a bit because they were desperate to win games, and he played well for a month, and then the wheels came off, yeah. which is what always happens. And Darling just had a Darling just had a horrendous season. Like I don't, I don't really know what the cause of it is, because they've they've had this, they've had some really really just shitty luck with goalies for as long as I can remember. Whether it's just Ward, like sticking with Ward forever, that's kind of what everybody points to and it is a big pro it is a big part of it but they brought in eddie lack a few years ago and lack was <laughs> lack did not lack didn't really fit in here he had problems with the goalie coach yeah wanting him to play a different style that didn't work out then they brought in a new goalie coach they brought in mike bales from pittsburgh that's right yeah Flurry. yeah so work with darling and that's been that was bad. They had a plan and everything going into the year and how to handle the goalies. They kind of just let Bales do his thing with Darling. 
and they had a plan on who was going to start which day, who was going to, how they're going to handle the workload. And Darling played okay for the first month, and then he just had a, he had a, he had a couple of just disastrous outings. One of them was against the Rangers, where he let in a goal from the red line off a dump in. Oh yeah, and, yes. And he had another one against the Leafs. They got smoked nine to one or something, and they let him. They they had him stay in for every single goal. Yeah. And uh, and uh, after that, he just hasn't been able to get any sort of a groove. He'll have one good game and then two terrible ones. And there was just uh, it, it just didn't work out. Everything they tried with him just was he, which is he just didn't he just was terrible. That's really all I can say. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think too, like. You know, uh, Scott Darling and, and, and you know, you, you, we're, I'm a fan of narratives, obviously, and, and I, I like the idea of Carolina being able to solve this problem by, by acquiring him um, from Chicago, and I think a lot of people expected him to do better. Um, that being said, when I look at ways that they could potentially solve this scenario, the, the three kind of likely scenarios that I thought of, and I'd love to get your input on it, is do you hope that Scott, you know, that Scott Darling can kind of bounce back and, and have a better year. I kind of look at it from the perspective of, you know, you can only go up from here after such a poor showing this season. And then the second one would be, does somebody in free agency help? Like, could you look at a guy like, you know, Bernier um, or even somebody like Halak or Niemi, who I know might be unpopular opinions, but if you look at somebody like Bernier um, as a backup, he still had a fairly decent save percentage this year with, uh, with Colorado. Or lastly, could you benefit from a guy like Alex Nedeljkovic and hope that you could develop him next year into a starting goalie after the amazing season that he had in Charlotte this past season? What do you think, Corey? Hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of just I'm kind of between a rock a rock and a hard place here because it's not a lot of them offer that much upside to me. Like you can always hope that Darling plays better next year, but it's. It's it's got it's going to be hard to go back into the into next season with the same goalie just after the terrible year he had. But maybe I, I've heard some people say it's. I've heard a lot of people like cite confidence as the reason, which I mean I, I wouldn't. I I would definitely buy that watching him. Some people uh, Don Waddell said he came to camp out of shape or something, and that's kind of what people say after <laughs> after something doesn't work out. Yeah, but I mean it was just. I mean I, I I don't know how much that I don't know how true that is. I mean Darling, I mean Darling is a big guy, but he, he I'm, it was his first year of like being a starter. I'm pretty sure he he prepared for it, so I don't know exactly what what the cause of it was, but. To, but I, I've thought about getting Bernier to kind of replace Ward, and I thought maybe that could work. But at the same time, it's like if he puts up this, he might just put up the same numbers Ward did if you start him like two or three games in a row. So yeah, Bern- like, uh, Bernier's and, tricky. <laughs> and if Darling still sucks, it's like you're kind of you're 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 back in the same situation you were. Yeah. Absolutely. So for me, I'd rather like I I'm, I almost would rather just hand the keys over to like Nadelkovic or maybe well well no Nadelkovic is really the only option. The other two guys are too young. <laughs> yeah. So I would I would give him like a few starts, but I don't know if he's ready to you know start yet. He's only played one game in the NHL, and that was a few that was last year, and that was in mop up duty. So he uh, they've been pretty slow with him. They spent a second round pick on him. And uh, 
eventually he needs to kind of get in there though like that's kind of the way I see it like you can't just keep you can't keep him in Charlotte forever while your two goalies are are putting up an 800 save percentage in the NHL yeah so I I, I'd rather I want to see him get some get some chances eventually and I'm hoping it happens next year yeah absolutely um well good thing you brought up Charlotte because we're going to shift some gears a bit and we want to talk about the checkers and the season that they've had this year um, and then with Zykov like leading the league, the league in goals with thirty three, like what do you like? What's your take on the season that Charlotte's had this year? It's been encouraging in a lot of ways and frustrating in a lot of other ways because they had a lot. There's a lot of like most of the kids leading the way in Charlotte are kids. Like they're part of the future. Right. They're going to be people that hopefully they're going to be players that are hopefully going to be on the Hurricanes. Mostly the forwards, the defensemen, I'm kind of, the defensemen is a little trickier because I'm not sure like how they're going to make room for all of them. Yeah. But as far as the forwards go, there was like three or four players on that team that could have been on the Hurricanes this year. And some of them did, some of them were good enough to make the team out of camp. There was just no spot for them. Like, uh, Warren Fogle, he was good enough to make the team two years ago, but they had to send him back to juniors. Yeah, Warren Fogle was really, really fun to watch. Do you, um, like, sorry to sidetrack you here, but do you watch any uh, junior at all, or do you get OHL where you live? Is it something that you're even interested in following at all? Uh, I try to watch whatever games that I can like they don't really show games uh, they don't show show games in Illinois unless they're on NHL Network or something right but I try to fall I do try to follow the league online or if I can grab footage I'll try to watch some of it especially if some of our prospects are playing there absolutely on the topic of prospects Corey um, I was thinking a little bit about some of the the top or higher end prospects that Carolina has in their system. Um, I wanted to go through five of them and I was hoping I could maybe get some insight as to, you know, where they're think they're where you think they're going, how far away they are. Is that something you'd be cool to talk about? Yeah, definitely. So the first one that I had, um, and is somebody who I really, really liked watching for Valdor was Julian Gauthier. Um, what are your thoughts on on a guy like Gauthier and what kind of game do you think he could bring to Carolina in the future? Well, Goche is someone who a lot of people, a lot of fans think can help the team now because he's, this is a team that has had a lot of trouble, like, a lot of trouble getting to the front of the net, scoring goals from there, like, just beating defensemen in the crease and all that, and it sounds like he's somebody that can fill that void. I haven't watched a lot of his games because he played in Quebec, and, uh, their their footage isn't really pretty, isn't really easy to track down. No, but <laughs> it's from not. What I, from what I've seen from him, though, especially in the preseason, he looks like somebody that kind of fills what they need because he's a goal scorer, and he's someone that adds size. He, he adds size to the team. They, they're always looking to get bigger. Uh, they're always looking to get bigger in that area. So he, so he definitely fits like the mold of what they're looking for. He didn't have a great season in Charlotte. He had trouble kind of fitting in the lineup. I know he got scratched a few times, but I don't know if there's just – uh, the AHL is a little weird just because they play it. They play three games and three nights. They don't play everybody, and uh, I'm not sure if he's going to make the team next year or not. I think they're going to keep him in the AHL all this season anyway. So I'm kind of interested in him. He's not really that high on the totem pole, which is a little too bad because you know, which is a little bad, which is too bad because he's a former first round pick. But there's a lot of talented players on that Charlotte team that kind of uh, they're kind of higher. 
in him the pecking order right now. Yeah, definitely. Uh, as far as defensive depth goes, and as a Maple Leaf fan myself, I look at the prospects that Carolina has defensively, and I, I, I would love for you guys to just have an overabundance of defensemen, and if you ever want to send any our way, we'll take it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, um, Jake Bean and, and Hayden Fleury, I was curious to see how you think that they've been doing, uh, and, and as they continue their development, if there's uh, one that you think you know may make it quicker than the other and of course when I look at some of the strengths that uh, Carolina has it's easy to say it's their defense do you think either Jake Bean or Hayden Fleury pushes somebody out and almost forces Carolina's hand to trade somebody yeah we were hoping that would happen well some fans were hoping that would happen sooner rather than later because they have need, they have needs at forward, and they have a lot of defensive prospects, and not enough room to play all of them. So, we're they were kind of hoping that somebody like Flurry or even Bean would take the next step. Uh, I haven't followed Jake Bean that closely, but uh, aside from just uh, what he's done in camp and in the preseason, but even then he didn't play a whole lot. So, he's one I'm kind of not sure about. But that's only because I don't know a ton about him. It's also a WHL kid. I don't really watch a lot of WHL games. And uh, Hayden Fleury, though, he was on the team the entire season. And, uh, like, overall, like, I, I felt like he was kind of underwhelming because he he was sheltered. Like, Bill Peters does this with all of his young defensemen. He shelters the hell out of them. Mm-hmm. Like, he keeps them away from – like, if, there, if, it's, if another team's first line is on the ice, he gets them off the ice. He starts a lot – he starts them a lot in the offensive zone or on the fly. And uh, he tried to pair him with uh, he tried to pair him with uh, Trevor Van Riemsdyk for the first part of the year, and that pairing was actually really good. But they were a third pair, so they only they're only they're only on the ice for like 14, 15 minutes. And uh, he tried pairing him with Falk for a little bit, and it just didn't work out. And because they just kept getting mixed up in coverage, they would kind of botch trans- they would botch zone exits just from bad exchanges. Falk also had a terrible season, so. I don't know if it's totally on Flurry, but Flurry as a whole was kind of underwhelming. He didn't score a goal for the entire season. He didn't really drive play. He didn't really impress one way or another. He started to look a lot better toward the end of the year. Like you started seeing him join the rush a little more, join a cycle. And uh, the only thing that really stands out to me is that he can make, like, he has a really good first pass. Like, he can get the puck out of the zone really quickly. Like, he's kind of just a one-man breakout like the rest of this defense. So he fits in, but I just don't know where his ceiling is because it's like, is he just a good defenseman? Because we have a lot of, like, the Hurricanes have a lot of good defensemen. Yeah, that's have true. a lot of guys. That's, but if he's just a good defenseman, like, Roland McEwen might be a good defenseman too. Right, yeah. Or Trevor Carrick might be a very good defenseman too, or even Jake Bean. Then, yeah, you absolutely should, like, look to move a Hayden Flurry because you can probably replace him. And if he hasn't reached the ceiling here, then, I mean, that's on the team for, like, not developing him the right way or, like, just kind of having a short leash on him, benching him after a mistake or something like that. Because, like, as of right now, he'd be someone that I'd be totally fine with uh, trading because he doesn't look like somebody that's going to completely move the needle for you right now. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And I, you know, you, you touched on the way that Bill Peters does things, and obviously um, he left uh, on, on, I would say kind of, 
not weird terms, but kind of unexpected terms, at least from an outsider perspective. What do you, like, as far as defensive systems go for a team uh, that's coached by Bill Peters, what do you think Carol, uh, sorry, Calgary Flames fans can expect um, as far as Bill Peters, uh, you know, defensive system and, and knowing what a team like Calgary has, what do you, what could you expect from their defensemen next year, or even the team as a whole? What do you think Bill Peters will be able to do with the Flames? Well, the thing with the Hurricanes, uh, like when Bill Peters took over in his first year, the first thing that really improved was their neutral zone defense. Like they did not allow teams, they did not allow teams to carry the puck, and they were really strong at their own line. And this was the this was before like Pesci and Slavin were even called up. Like that, that didn't happen for another year. So like they were working with uh, they were they were working with like Falk, Sakara, Ron Hainsey as kind of their defensive backbone. John Michael Lyles, and they were they were excellent at just shutting down forwards, forcing them to dump the puck in, just playing with the puck a lot more. They were really slow and deliberate on their breakouts, but it was kind of a good thing because they were just waiting for more. They're just waiting for like passing lanes to open up, waiting for open ice to waiting waiting for open ice to be there. And they're they're just really, uh, I guess, calculated is the right word. Like whenever I, like whenever when I, when Bill Peters took over and I was watching the Hurricanes play, like that's just the thing that stuck out to me. They were just really slow, deliberate, and calculated, but they had the puck a lot. Right. So that was kind of the that was kind of just the overall theme with Peters' system. He had a he like really stretched emphasis on carrying the puck in, getting. Uh, carrying the puck in, getting shots on goal from basically every angle they could, fighting for rebounds, and uh, just having control of the puck was like his main thing. That's what that's basically what the Flames can uh, look forward to, which sounds like it's it would definitely be a welcome thing for them. Yeah, definitely. They got, they got a really good group of defensemen there too. Like, well, like the top end of that defense is very good. Yeah, like in my opinion, because like Giordano and Hamilton, Bill Peters is probably just over the moon with those two at his disposal. Yeah, definitely. And I know, you know. It, it, I, I said it earlier, but I mean, like, living where we live in Toronto in this, like, pretty stupid media bubble that we have. And listen, we're, we're fully aware of how ridiculous it is uh, to uh, to other fan bases. But it was proposed earlier this week that they may look at moving on from a guy like Dougie Hamilton. Is that the biggest mistake that that team could make at this, at this stage of things? Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't really understand, like... I don't understand where this comes from. Well, I mean, I guess I kind of do. Kent Wilson had a really good article on The Athletic about this the other day. That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah he said, like, the main thing that – the main thing why coaches are kind of sour on Dougie Hamilton or why they get frustrated with him is because he takes a lot of bad penalties and he's uh, he has, a, like, the odd turnover or two. But he does a lot more good for you than bad, and that's something you can fix because you can't, you can't replace a lot of the other parts of his game. Definitely. Yeah. When we look at – kind of at a, on a, a big kind of grand scale here all of the crazy and and uh, I'd say even unpredictable things that have been going on with Carolina from a front office perspective um, I mean where do you want to start with that like when, when you think about your your time um, following the team uh, Peter Carmanos Jr. was the owner of the team um, and then now the majority owner is Tom Dundon. Did you know much about Tom Dundon before he took the team over? 
Uh, before I took the team over, no. Like this has been a this has been just a saga for forever because it's been Carmanis's team since they were in Hartford, right? And he's been looking to sell the team for two or three years now, or something like that. And there wasn't any takers because Carmanis wanted to have control, still wanted to own part of the team, and like. I mean, it's his right to do that. I mean, he bought the he bought the team. He moved them. They've been his identity for as long as he can remember. But that's going to restrict like who wants to buy the team, especially because he wanted to keep them in Raleigh too. Mm-hmm. So that was a that was a big thing. And there was a buyer this off season. Uh, his name was Chuck Greenberg, who was also from Texas, and uh, that didn't really uh, that didn't really work out. And then Dunton kind of came along late this year. And a lot of fans were just relieved that this whole PK thing was over because we finally, like we finally have an owner. We have an owner with money, an owner that wants to spend money, an owner that's not happy with where the team is at now. And an owner that is going to keep them in Raleigh for the time being because he can't, he can't move them now because there's no, he signed a, you have to sign a club as you won't relocate the team or something like that when he, uh, when he bought them. Right. That's right. Yeah. It was a that was a big deal when that happened. So there wasn't much that was done about Dundon except like kind of his past history. Just his past history. He's from Texas. He made a he made a lot of his money off uh, auto loans or something like that. So I, I heard that somewhere that he uh, the way he made his money, a lot of people didn't feel very good about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's also like you look at how a lot of sports owners make their money, and yeah, you never feel of, good about it. <laughs> yeah, so. Like there was a lot, of, there was a lot of people who distrust, who didn't trust him. A lot of people were happy that he was here, and a lot of people were happy he was here. There were some people that don't trust him, but it's like a, it's a, it was a mixed bag. Well, it was a mixed bag, but it was mostly positive. So he was doing a lot of like when he first got to Carolina, he was doing a lot of cool things like to help get more people in the building and help make it a little more exciting for the fans because he felt that fans were getting the value from like their experience at games because i mean the team wasn't the team wasn't winning and yeah. uh there's a, a lot of people were complaining about like the arena and stuff like that i don't live in the area so i can't really talk about i can't really attest to that as much but that was a that was a big thing like right. when he first got when he first took over the team like he had this deal where people could he had this deal where people could move down to the lower bowl for one game yeah, I remember he reading lower, about that, yeah. Yeah, he wanted the lower bowl packed, and it was like a Tuesday game against Ottawa or something that wasn't going to draw much. So that was a pretty cool idea. Yeah. He also got he also came up with this thing where you could buy a ticket to a game. I mean, you could buy you could buy uh, something called a Hurricanes Pass for like 99 bucks, and it gets you tickets to like three games a month or something like that. Right. I don't know the exact details, but that was pretty cool. But like he wanted to do, he wanted to make hockey, well, he wanted to make like Hurricanes games like, Something you could go to every single night, and you didn't have to pay a fortune to go to. Yeah. So that was that was pretty cool, like what he was doing there. Yeah. So that was there was a lot of positives. There wasn't a lot of tension until uh, until uh, until it was announced that Francis wasn't the GM anymore, and then everyone was like, "Okay, what's going on here?" (laughs) And uh, even then, it was like, like even then, it was pretty. the The response is pretty mixed overall because. You had you had a lot of people that were really buying to what Francis was doing because he was trying to build through the draft for a lot of for many years because that's how you had to do it in this market because you're not going to buy you're not going to spend like uh, eight million you're not going to be able to spend eight million a year on free agents or something like that. 
so he he wanted to build through the draft, and his philosophy was always that he wanted to build a team that was going to be in the playoffs every year. He didn't want to have a team. He didn't want to like sell off assets at the deadline to be eighth place and lose in the first round yeah. or something like that. Even though this team has had a playoff draft forever, so I can understand why fans got sick of that because this team hasn't made the playoffs in nine years. But Francis was only there for four, so you can't exactly put. Like I don't feel like you should take all of that brunt, but at the same time, I can understand why people got why people got tired of it because they're tired of they're tired of losing. Yeah, yeah. so it was it was pretty mixed overall, pretty cut down the middle. But like I looked at like what Fran, even me, I was kind of just I I was kind of lukewarm on that happening because I felt I felt like Francis. I liked most of what he did. It was what he didn't do that kind of. That kind of uh, rub people the wrong way, which is like not making that one trade, not making that one signing, not doing that one thing that puts you over the top. But it's also like you look at each situation, like what exactly could he do? Yeah. Well, and it was also too like at least from from my perspective and Carter, I, I maybe we feel the same on this. I guess we'll find out. But they almost made like they painted Tom Dundon to be like this villain and like you know obviously as soon as not maybe not as soon as he acquired the team but ron francis became became the president of hockey operations and then shortly after it was like ron francis was asked to work from his home (laughs) and then you know a couple of days later as far as i can remember he was let go like that was just recently right um yeah so it's it's kind of like you know do you feel like it's it's maybe like the media and the way that they're portraying Dundon in, in this kind of like villainous light, or uh, or do you think that maybe some of some of this is warranted? And as a fan, maybe they just needed a new voice. Yeah, to me, it's just uh, I think a lot of the frustration, like with the with some fans, a lot of fans are kind of well. If there's some fans that are happy about all this, some of them are kind of just like annoyed that the the team just keeps getting painted as a mess. And, like, there's, like, a new thing to freak out over every day now. So, like, people were just kind of sick of that overall. But I think what exactly happened was that I think Dundon wanted to work with Francis. He wanted him to stay on board, but maybe, I I guess they didn't get along or something. I think he wanted them to, I think he wanted to, like, have him as part of the solution, but he didn't want him to be the general manager. And that... You take somebody out of their former position, and that's gonna, they're probably not going to be happy, so I can understand why this happened, but it kind of just made the team look like a bit of a, a it just made them look like a mess, and I don't yeah. think it's really, I don't think it's really as big of a deal, because the new owner comes in, of course he's going to want his own people. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, that's, but it's, that's it's also, it's also, Dundon is not a, Dundon, Dundon's never worked in hockey before, yeah. so I think there's a bit of a, I, I don't know, I the hockey world is a bit of a cool kids club because it's like a new guy comes in tries to do something different and he gets kind of thrown over the rails for it especially when he especially if you remove somebody like Ron Francis like Francis was one of the is one of the most respected people in hockey Mm -hmm. so you take him out of position and especially like that and especially when you have people that are outside of it and they're outside of the situation they don't exactly know like the details of it or what exactly happened they're gonna they're not gonna be happy like that's and of course they're gonna be upset so yeah it's like so i feel like they had i feel like they were gonna take a pr a pr hit one way or another and it's annoying for fans to deal with right now but i think this was probably gonna happen at some point but as of right now dundon it's his team he wants to run it his way so 
that's just how it goes. I think the saving grace for the fans, though, is that Dundon, first and foremost, wants to keep things in Raleigh. Like he said, like with the lease coming up in 2024, I believe it is, and then the arena will be 25 years at that point. Like he'll, like his question isn't moving. His question is, okay, like where can we stay to keep the fans interested, right? So I think that's yeah. going to be the one saving grace through all of this uncertainty is that they're not going anywhere, right? Yeah, that's the big thing. It's that they're not going to be they're not going to be moving anywhere. And I don't think that was really I don't think that was going to happen one way or another because the 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 only team that's relocated recently is Atlanta. Yeah. And Atlanta just had Atlanta just had a mess like with ownership issues. Oh yeah. And that's why they and that's why they're in Winnipeg right now. <laughs> so I don't think it was going to happen. They they ended, this league fought forever to keep the coyotes in arizona too and yeah. they have a lot of, they have a lot of issues like with arena ownership and everything so I, I i never thought it was gonna be that bad but some people were just concerned because i mean when you have a you got a building that's half empty every night and a team that hasn't made the playoffs in forever then yeah and a team that's relocated recently that in a southern market then yeah you're gonna be worried about it yeah, yeah oh definitely i feel like um you know there's been a lot of of conversation around gm and, and whether don waddell might just step in as the gm was a rumor that that i was reading about or i had heard on another podcast recently from a coaching perspective could you see a guy like mike Vellucci stepping in with all the success that he had with some of the youngsters on the checkers from a front office perspective like do you think a guy like Mike Vellucci could step in and have an impact there yeah I think Vellucci is going to be the guy eventually from everything I've heard he wants to be a coach like he wants to well he wants to stay in coaching he doesn't want to be part of the front office and uh, he, I think there's going to be some checkers on the roster next year so that seems like a natural logical transition to me the yeah. other name I've heard out there is Rod Brindamore, and I'm not exact. I'm not as confident as in that because Brindamore's been on the staff for a few years now, right? And as far as we know, his responsibility is running the power play, and the power play's been terrible for a few, <laughs> for a few yeah. years. So that's not exactly something that's going to inspire a lot of confidence with the coaches. But Brindamore is also like Brindamore is pretty high regarded in that organization, and from what's been reported, Tom. Tom Dundon really likes him too, so it sounds like he's going to stay there in some capacity. But not as a leading role. Like, if you're going to have this golden opportunity with Svechnikov and, like, having someone come in who still will be a little bit or have that old world mentality or old Carolina mentality, like, it might be nice to have kind of the whole paradigm shift happen at once. Yeah, so that's that's something that everybody's kind of waiting for we've kind of, everybody kind of thinks it's going to be one of those two yeah because waddell is leading the coaching search i believe and as far as we know he hasn't interviewed anybody and so it sounds like it's going to be one of the so it sounds like they have their they have an idea of who they want to be the coach it's just it's just going to be narrowed down between volucci or brenda moore from what we understand yeah absolutely well i don't have too much that i wanted to talk about um was there anything else that you wanted to add, Carter? No, I think this is, uh, our Carolina fans are going to be happy with this episode. Yeah, and, and as I said earlier, Corey, we're, we're so happy that you were able to jump on and, and, and be a part of this. Was there anything else that you wanted to touch on at all? No, I think that's, I think we touched on almost everything. Yeah, and, and hopefully we can have you back on. Uh, you know, we've got uh, free agency coming up soon, and I'm, I'm curious to see, 
you know, what they are going to do about a coach, what they are going to do about a GM. So we'd love to have you back on and, and maybe dissect that a little bit more, um, if that's something you'd be cool with. Yeah, it'd be nice to... Yeah, it'd be nice to kind of uh, follow up when they uh, actually hire uh, some when they actually hire a GM and a coach. Because <laughs> right now it's a bit right now there's like a lot of in the air that we don't know about. Yeah. Hey, but they're making trades though with Marcus Kruger going to Arizona yesterday. Yeah, that was uh, that was uh, interesting. <laughs> I'm not uh, Kruger was because Kruger was in the AHL for half the season. Right. And that was a. That that trade was very weird when they uh, when they when they made it. Well, like just getting Kruger in the first place. I mean, yeah. Well, because you thought that they wanted to get him for center depth, right? And it just I don't know didn't. Well, like I thought he was going to be a Clements replacement, and right. I thought they were going to kind of add some. I thought they were going to add another center on the roster because yeah. to me, Kruger's somebody you get when you have like a definitive top end of the roster and a definitive one C because Kruger's going to take all the defensive zone starts. While while your uh, while your top center uh, starts most of their shifts in the offensive zone, Carolina like Carolina didn't really have that, and Kruger didn't even do that because Stahl ended up taking most of the defensive shifts anyway. So there wasn't really any point to the trade. Yeah, definitely, kind of kind of a, a strange thing, but yeah, I guess we'll just have to <laughs> see how that transpires. Now, uh, I want to give you an opportunity to plug some of the things that you're working on, um, and I know you're doing some work with the Athletic Chicago right now. Do you have anything that we can look forward to reading in the next little while? Yeah, I'm doing some season reviews for the Blackhawks. I just wrote one on Duncan Keith this past week, and I did one on Brandon Saad the week before, and uh, probably going to do one on Connor Murphy coming up. And I'm going to be doing some stuff for the Ice Hogs in their uh, playoff run right now. Yeah, that's great, so you, man. So you can check out some of that stuff on the uh, on the Athletic. Oh, nice. Where can people follow some of the work that you're doing through your blog and on Twitter? Uh, you can follow me at Shutdown Line. Uh, I'll, I haven't updated the Energy Line blog in a, in a while. I used to use that as kind of a data dump site. I don't really use it now because uh, uh, I feel I, th- I think. Uh, 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 I don't know if you. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, CJ Tuturo, he's a Devils blogger. He created, he created a Viz tool for my data. Yeah, I did see that so actually. Can, yeah, so that's that's kind of where its uh, public home is now. Cool. So you can you can check out a lot of that. You can check out like uh, a lot of the stats that I track on that, and uh, that's I post those all the time on Twitter. So you can follow me at Shutdown Line and see all that. And I also have my uh, I also have my Patreon page, which helps me kind of uh, which helps me kind of keep doing what I do with uh, tracking data for NHL teams and all that. So you could uh, check that out. That's and what's the link to your Patreon page? Just for those listening who might not look to the show notes. It's uh, patreon.com slash C, then my last name, Snyder. Awesome. I got to tell you, when I was putting the notes together here, I kept, like, psyching myself up to not say your name wrong. Uh, When you were a kid, did the supply teacher just botch your last name every time? Pretty much all the time. (laughs) I actually... college, they stopped trying. I went through previous podcasts that I could find uh, on Apple Podcasts to be like, all right, how do people say his name? Because I am not going to mess this up. (laughs) Yeah, it's... I wouldn't have minded if you did, though, because it's... (laughs) It's a weird last name, so... No, it's cool. I, I uh, It doesn't look like what it actually ends up being, so I, I can appreciate that. That uh, yeah. that works good for me. But like I said, thank you so much for being a part of our, uh, our little podcast here, and, and we can't wait to have you on again. 
Yeah, so we're looking forward to that. That'll be great. And you guys can listen to Hosers on iTunes and SoundCloud. Please feel free to rate and review the podcast and leave a comment if you're so inclined. You can follow me on Twitter at PenaltyKills, K-I-L-L-Z-Z, and Carter Lupel at Carter Lupel. That's all we have, guys. Corey, thanks again for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Thanks, buddy. We'll talk to you again soon. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye.